We're going to start in Proverbs 16, but our main study is going to be in Genesis 37. If you do need a Bible, raise a hand, and we've got some fine gentlemen coming down the aisles with Bibles now. So if you've got those pretty little ribbons in your Bible, Mark 1 in Proverbs 16, that's where we'll launch our series, and then our main focus is going to be in Genesis chapter 37. My name is Austin, by the way, would love to get the opportunity to meet you after the service if I don't know you and would love to know you and so glad that you are here. If you're new, welcome. We're so glad that you've decided to worship with us this evening. Uh, We meet this time, this place, Monday night, 7.30 p.m. right here in the chapel for worship and the word. And so that is what we do. We worship the Lord and we teach the Bible. Uh, So welcome. So glad for you guys to join us. Looking forward to meeting you after the service tonight. Proverbs chapter 16. While you're turning there, I'm just going to briefly kind of mention, um, so last week we had our Labor Day bonfire, and I introed the series by reading Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1 through 9, and so I'm going to just kind of briefly skim over what we talked about last week. Some of us, or all of us rather, uh, have plans. We plan. We plan out our lives. Some of us plan further out. Some of us plan closer to the appointment, but all of us to some degree or another plan our lives out. Um, Some of you have a very specific idea of what you want your life to look like in the future. Uh, Maybe some of you just have a kind of a rough idea of what you want your life to look like in the future. But all of us plan, all of us plan out our our days, our schedules, our lives. And we uh, maybe um, even plan our lives to um, the degree where we look forward into the future and we plan, we make kind of like a five-year plan or a 10-year plan for our lives. Maybe you graduated high school and you thought, okay, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to get a degree, I'm going to graduate, I'm going to get a job related to the field in which I studied, I'm going to get married, I'm going to have kids, I'm going to buy a house, and you have this kind of a vision of what you picture your life looking like, um, but things maybe haven't gone quite according to that schematic that you first set up for yourself. Um, and you don't end up going to college, maybe you just go straight into work, which is great. Or maybe you go into college, you graduate, get your degree, but you don't get a job uh, related to the field in which you studied. Or maybe you graduated, got a degree, found a great job, but you want to be in a relationship. And you're like, I see everyone's uh, pictures on Instagram, all their wedding pictures or their relationship pictures, their gross pictures. You know, it's kind of making me sick seeing all these pictures on Instagram of all these people who are in a happy relationship and I'm single. And that's okay. Or maybe you thought you're married and and you're trying to have kids, but you can't have kids and you kind of had this hope in your heart. I was planning to get married and then have kids after two years. And then after two years, we'd have our our, our other child and boy first and then a girl because I want both. And you you have this uh, vision of what you expect your life to look like. And this is what we see here in Proverbs chapter 16. And these questions can sometimes you know, when we ask God questions, God, why, why, why isn't my plan coming to fruition? I had this plan all mapped out, but I'm not seeing it come to fruition. And these questions can cause frustration and anxiety and worry. And these questions and those frustrations can sometimes be directed towards God. God, where are you? I had these plans set out for my life, but I'm not seeing it happen. 
And you even begin to question God's character. God, do you even care about me? Do you even love me? Do you even see where I am? Do you see my frustrations? Do you see my worries, my anxieties? And you begin to question God and his plan for your life. So Proverbs 16 uh, verse 9 is our theme verse. It says, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I want us to say this. I want us to say this all aloud together on three. One, two, three. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Beautiful. This is our theme verse, which by we are going to build our life, our life upon and our study upon. So what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to look at different characters in the Bible whose life didn't go according to plan. And this verse in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9, a man's heart plans his way. Now, the word plans in the Hebrew is a verb, chashav. It's a verb meaning to think, to calculate, or to imagine. And so a man's heart thinks about, calculates, imagine what his life is going to look like. But it says the Lord directs his step. That's the Hebrew word kun. It's a verb meaning to arrange, to determine, and to establish. So we plan as we can and should, but we should never think that our ability to plan our lives makes us the Lord over our lives. We might plan and calculate and think how life might look, which is great. The Bible tells us to plan and to be prepared, but we have to be willing to let go and let God direct our steps. So how should we then respond in life when things don't go as planned? This is kind of the question we're going to be answering as we go through our study. How should we as believers in Jesus respond in life when things aren't going according to our plans? So our first principle, we have five principles to unpack. The first principle is going to come from this chapter in Proverbs 16. The other four are going to come from Genesis 37. But our first thing, the first thing we need to do, principle number one, is to commit whatever you do to the Lord. Commit whatever you do to the Lord. This is Proverbs 16, verse 3. It says in my Bible, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts, or NIV, ESV, will say plans, and your plans will be established. Commit your works or actions to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. I love this verse. The Hebrew word commit literally means to take the burden off of your shoulders and to place the burden on someone else's shoulders. It literally means to roll away. Picture this boulder that's on your shoulders, that's too heavy to bear on yourself, and you literally roll away that burden and put it upon someone else's shoulders. This is what the Hebrew phrase is indicating, that God is asking us as believers in him to commit whatever you do, roll upon the Lord whatever you do, because he desires to carry our burdens. So commit your day to the Lord, First thing in the morning when you wake up, Lord, I commit this day to you. Commit your actions to the Lord. When you go to work, commit everything you do to the Lord. Commit your worries to the Lord. Commit your anxieties to the Lord. Commit your feelings of doubt to the Lord. The Lord desires to take the burden that is upon our shoulders, and he desires us to roll it onto his shoulders. The sentence, the verse can literally read, roll upon God everything that you do. And I love this. Our Heavenly Father desires us to roll upon the Lord everything that we do. It's the picture of a man holding this boulder 
and passing it on to the Lord. Lord, this is too great for me to carry. And so first things first, this is kind of the overarching umbrella. Commit whatever you do to the Lord, whether you like what you do or not. Whether you're in, a, in work or at school or doing something that you have to do, maybe just to make a little money to make ends meet, but it's not quite your passion, it doesn't matter. Whatever you do, commit it to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't necessarily like where I'm at right now, but I'm going to commit it to you. I don't necessarily like what I'm doing right now. It's not my greatest passion. It's not what I expected to be doing, but I'm going to commit it to you. Roll upon the Lord whatever you do. And we're going to look at a man tonight in Genesis 37 who did exactly that in the man of Joseph. Turn in your Bibles now to Genesis chapter 37. We're going to look at a man um, whose life didn't go according uh, to what he had planned, and yet he committed himself to the Lord despite his circumstances. This is the man of Joseph. So let's read together in Genesis chapter 37, Starting in verse 1, we're going to read the first 11 verses and then we'll pray. It says, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers, and the lad, I'm not a huge fan of that word, the lad, you know, your Bibles maybe say uh, something different, but New King James says, And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph. Israel is also Jacob, so this name is interchangeable. So Jacob is Joseph's dad, but it also calls him Israel. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Tunic, another word I don't care for. Your Bible probably says coat. The coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, Please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Then, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And indeed, your sheaf stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him, And said to him, What is this dream you've dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's pray. Lord, we commit our Bible study to you now. We ask that you would teach us, Lord, that you would encourage us, that you would convict us, Lord, but really that you would just draw us near to your son, Jesus. We commit this Bible study to you now, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Do any of you have annoying siblings? Now, I was that annoying sibling, okay? I have a younger sister, Lindsay, an older brother, Tyler, so I was right in the middle there, and I loved to pester them and get on their nerves, and mainly with my brother, Tyler, because, you know, we're we're close in age. Um, He's older than than I, but, uh, you know, as the younger brother, I had a responsibility, I had a responsibility to annoy the heck out of him. 
And that's what I would do. And so, you know, things just like, um, I was thinking of an example earlier today. I was the, the younger brother who, when Tyler would just need some privacy in his bedroom and he'd, he'd close and lock the door, I would just endlessly be knocking on his door and saying, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in, let me in. And he would, he would just not even respond most of the time. But I would just be that pestering brother knocking at the door, just saying, Tyler, let me in. I want to play. I want to hang out. I want to do whatever. And, uh, and, you know, he obviously is a great older brother, but there were times where he would needed, needed his space from me, but I would just pester him knocking on his door. He also loved Legos. He was a big Lego geek, big Lego guy. And uh, he also is a part of the Star Wars geekdom. And he would love Star Wars and Legos. And so those combination uh, went hand in hand. And he would build all these model ships. And I can remember one time he uh, spent hours building the Millennium Falcon. And hours just constructing that spacecraft from Star Wars. And he was so excited to put it together. It took him hours. And then later I came to his room when he wasn't looking. And I deconstructed the whole thing. <laughs> and Legos everywhere. Um, yeah, I don't recall what he did to me afterwards, but I, I'm sure it probably wasn't, wasn't too good. Um, another thing, you know, we'd be at the dinner table with mom and dad, um, you know, either uh, doing family devotions or just, just eating or whatever. And, um, you know, this is just between you and me. I don't think he's here tonight, but Tyler liked to pass gas every once in a while, all right? Especially at the dinner table. It was the best place to do it. And so, you know, we would, you know, we would in our house, we would call it toot. So he would, he'd do a little toot. Um, you know, we'd sometimes call it a fluffy, you know. Um, uh, we'd also call, call it a duck because um, it sounded like a, a duck's quacking, quack, quack. And so he, we called it, did you just do a duck? Did you do a, a duck, Tyler? And anyway, anyhow, he, he'd be at the dinner table and he would, he would do a little duck. And, uh, and, and then dad would, would reprimand and get, you know, not, not, he wasn't mean or anything, but he'd just be like, Tyler, get, get to the office. Like, that's, that's not acceptable at the dinner table. And we had a little office by the, by the door, uh, by the front door. And so Tyler would go to the office, and I'd be the brother that would point and laugh at him as he'd leave the dinner table after he'd be, you know, doing some, some toots at the dinner table. And then my dad, of course, would then say, like, you know, tell me to stop laughing or I would join him. Um, and so, you know, just that's, that's the kind of stuff that, that I would do as that annoying little brother, and uh, I still f- try to find ways to do it today. Um, nonetheless, this is Joseph. He is an annoying little brother. He is the 11th of Jacob's sons, and it, the Bible says that Joseph is Jacob's favorite son. Okay, so right off the bat, I mean, the father showing favoritism to one of his sons, it's not going to go well for him. And this was Joseph, an annoying little brother. Jacob, Joseph's dad, makes him this coat of many colors, and Joseph wears it, and he kind of shows it off around town whenever he's with his brothers. And the Bible says three times in the passage we just read that they hated him. Okay, so this is little, annoying little Joseph, 17-year-old kid, showing his coat off to his brother, saying, look what dad made me, and his brothers just despise him. Okay, so the Bible also says now that uh, Joseph was um, a handsome guy, and you know his brothers probably maybe hated him for that all the more. It says that, he en- that they envied him in verse 11 here. And so the brothers one day are feeding their father's flock out in the field. And Jacob says to Joseph, why don't you go check on your brothers? Bring back report to me uh, on how your brothers are doing in the field. So Joseph says, okay, puts on his beautiful little coat, goes out to see his brothers, but they've moved fields. 
So they're not at the place where they told him they'd be. They, they told him they'd, they'd be in Shechem. They weren't there. They traveled to Dothan, probably to get away further from their house. So Joseph then travels some more, finally finds his brothers. His brothers uh, see him coming from afar, and it says they can, that they conspire to kill Joseph. This is how much hatred lies within the brothers' hearts. And they conspire to kill him. They see him coming far off, and then he comes. He says, what's going on, guys? And you know, then they're, they're, they're just talking trash with him. They're, they're teasing him. They're getting on his nerves. And then Reuben says, listen, we, we shouldn't kill him. Let, let's not kill the guy. You know, he is our brother after all. Let's just throw him in a pit or something. And that's what they do. So the brothers, okay, well, we won't kill him now. We'll just throw him into this pit. So they throw him into a pit. Um, and Joseph lies there in the pit while his brothers enjoy a meal, the Bible says. Then along comes some Ishmaelites And the brothers then have an idea. Let's not kill the guy. We might as well make some money off of Joseph. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. So the Bible says that some Ishmaelite nomads come. The brothers then sell Joseph to these Ishmaelites. And the Ishmaelites then take Joseph. It says that they sell him for 20 shekels of silver, which was the average day price of a slave. But it wasn't too much, maybe a couple hundred bucks in our day. And they sell Joseph. And Joseph then goes with the Ishmaelites, and then the Ishmaelites then sell him to an Egyptian officer named Potiphar. Now, Potiphar is very a very high-ranking military official in the Egyptian army, and so Potiphar then welcomes Joseph into his home. Now, let's look at um, Genesis 39. Genesis 39, we're going to read a bit from there. It says that Potiphar liked Joseph... Potiphar saw that Joseph, uh, that God was with Joseph, and so he liked Joseph so much so to the point where he made Joseph um, ahead of all of his household. The Bible says that Potiphar entrusted everything that he had to Joseph's care, so Joseph is a very high-ranking official now within the household of Potiphar. Everything that Potiphar owns now belongs to Joseph. Joseph is responsible for it. Let's read now uh, chapter 39, verse 7. Verse 7 says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. So this is Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife notices Joseph within the household. The Bible says he's a handsome guy. She takes notice after Joseph. Potiphar's not in the house, so she pursues Joseph. It says in verse 8, But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in the house, and he is committed all that he has, that all that he has to my hand, there is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was, when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me, and I crowd, cried out with a loud voice, And it happened when he heard that I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with words like these, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought to us 
came into me to mock me. So it happened as I lifted my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. Verse 19, so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him saying, your servant did to me after this manner that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. All right, let's pause there. So summarizing what we just read, Potiphar's wife takes notice of Joseph, a handsome guy, pursues Joseph. Joseph resists the temptation to be with Potiphar's wife, flees Potiphar's wife, holds on to Joseph's garment, and then takes the garment to Potiphar himself and his officials saying, Joseph was brought in, and the NIV says, to make sport of me. And she then tattles on Joseph for something that he didn't even do because she's embarrassed, and she then has been pursuing this guy. It says day after day she pursued him. Joseph resisted. Now she's frustrated, turns him in, and says, just to get him in trouble, let's throw this guy in jail. He came in to make sport of me. He came in to sleep with me. And Potiphar's anger was aroused, the Bible says, throws him into prison. Throws him into prison. Principle number two, what we're going to learn from this passage, honor the Lord in your circumstance, no matter how good or bad it might be. So how are we to respond in life when things aren't going according to the plan Honor the Lord in your circumstance, no matter how good or bad your circumstance might be. Joseph, a 17-year-old kid, is in an unknown land, living in an unknown culture, living within a different language. Can you just imagine this scene? Joseph, within Potiphar's household, could have gotten away with anything he desired. No one back home would have known. But Joseph, even though he is a slave, even though his circumstances aren't quite what he expected, he commits himself and resolves in his heart, I'm going to honor the Lord, no bad, no matter how bad my circumstance might be in this moment. And this is so encouraging to us that when life doesn't go according to plan, because I'm sure Joseph didn't pencil this into his agenda, be sold as a slave today and go to Potiphar's household and be thrown into prison Joseph still resolved in his heart, no matter what circumstance I'm in, I'm going to honor the Lord. And Joseph resolves, in the household of Potiphar, I'm going to stay pure before the Lord. You might be single, desiring to be in a relationship. That's great, understood. Resolve in your heart to stay pure before the Lord. You might be at a job or at work that you're not too hot about, that you haven't really expected for your life, doesn't matter. Honor the Lord at your work. Don't cut corners. Work hard. Respect your boss. Respect your employees. No matter where you are, honor the Lord. And then back, uh, back to the principles, number three, is resist the temptation to complain about your circumstance. Now, this is a big one. Because whatever circumstance we might find ourselves in, if we haven't planned it, we have the temptation to complain about what circumstance we're in to everybody around us. I wasn't planning on doing this. I didn't really want this job. I really wasn't planning on going here or, or spending my time here. But this is just you know, what, I'm, what I've kind of found myself in. And maybe you don't hate it, but maybe you just, it's just not what you are passionate about. Resist the temptation to complain because the Lord has you there for a specific reason. And Joseph is, has every right to complain. 
When I've looked at my life and I've complained about different things in my life, I look back to Joseph, who was in prison for something he didn't do and sold as a slave, betrayed by his family, and there's no word of complaint out of Joseph's mouth. He resolves in his heart to resist the temptation to complain about his circumstance. And this is something we can take great encouragement from. Don't ask, how can I get out of this circumstance? But rather ask, how can I honor the Lord within this circumstance? A lot of times we're looking for a way out, which I get. But sometimes it's good to stop asking, Lord, how can I get out of this circumstance and move on? And just ask, Lord, how would you like to use me within the situation I'm currently in? And how can I honor you? And how can I not complain? Because you've placed me here for a reason. We're going to see in the next chapter how God purposefully placed Joseph within this prison for a reason. Now look at verse 21 real quickly, though. I love this because it says in verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And then in verse 23, it also says, but the Lord was with him. So Joseph is in prison and it says that the Lord was with him. Principle number four, remember that God's silence does not equate God's absence. This is key. Remember that God's silence does not equate God's absence. Many of us, when we're in some kind of a circumstance or situation, it's not going according to plan. We, we question whether God cares, whether God hears, whether God is, is interested in our heart's desire, interested in our passions. And sometimes when we don't get any answers, when there's no clarity or direction, we start to question, is God even here? Is God even with me? But never equate God's silence with God's absence. It says here in verses 21 and 23, Joseph is in prison, yet the Lord was with him. The Lord is with you. In your circumstance and in your situation, never equate God's silence with God's absence. He's there, he hears, he sees. We're going to look at another character later in this study who, there's no mention of God even in the passages we're going to read, but God was there orchestrating the whole thing. Never equate God's silence with God's absence. And so Joseph here is in prison. I'm going to summarize, this, summarize chapters 40 and 41. The prisoners there with Joseph, they have a dream. The baker and the butler, or your translations might say the cupbearer. Two guys that used to work for Pharaoh. Pharaoh didn't like them, put them in prison. That's what you get to do when you're in power. You don't like people, put them in jail. All right. So that's what Potiphar does. Doesn't like the baker he had. I don't know what the baker did. I, you know, didn't bake the cupcakes right. I, you know, I'm not sure. Throws the baker in jail. Cupbearer's not doing his jo- job. Probably dropped a glass and it shattered and he sent him off to jail. I, I'm not sure, but the baker and the butler are there in prison. They have dreams and they, they can't interpret these dreams. They're saying, what in the world do these dreams mean? Joseph says, tell them to me. I serve a God who can interpret dreams. And so the baker and the butler tell their dreams to Joseph, and Joseph has good news for one of the guys, bad news for the other. He says to the baker, as many of you know this story, he says to the baker, your dream means you're going to die. Okay, you're going to be hung, you're going to be eaten by crows. Um, And then he says to the butler, however, you are going to be reinstated to your prior position as the cupbearer of Pharaoh. And so this is what happens. The butler is uh, reinstated to his position, the baker is taken, and he is hung, And so the butler then goes back to Pharaoh, but Joseph says to the butler, remember me when you're reinstated to your position. Butler says, no problem. All right, the Bible says two years go by until Pharaoh has a dream and he can't interpret the dream either. 
brings all his magicians around, tries to interpret this dream. None of them can do it. Light bulb goes off in the butler's head. He says, hey, remember this guy named Joe? He was in prison with me. He could interpret my dream. Maybe he could interpret your dream. Pharaoh says, great, bring them on in. Pharaoh relays this dream to him. Joseph says, I know exactly what this dream means. There's going to be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. Pharaoh's impressed by Joseph's ability to interpret this dream. He says, great, I'm going to make you second in command of all that I own. So Joseph's let out of prison. The Bible isn't clear how long he was in there, but either between two to 13 years, we can calculate. Joseph was in prison, honoring the Lord, and then he's reinstated, but now he's placed second in command, not over Potiphar's household, but over all of Egypt. So now Joseph is in this prominent position, ruling over Egypt. The dream comes true. There is seven years of plenty, seven plentiful years of harvest that the Egyptians bring in, followed by seven years of then famine. And the Bible says that this famine was over the whole surface of the earth. And so this affects, in the meantime, Joseph's brothers and his family living in Canaan. So Joseph's brothers then come back to Egypt, and they now are confronted with Joseph, but they don't recognize him. Because Egypt, during that seven years of plenty, they conserved what they had because Joseph knew there was going to be seven years of famine. They conserved their resources, saved what they had during the plentiful years, and now the whole world is coming to Egypt looking to buy grain from Egypt, and this includes Joseph's family. Jacob tells his other other sons, go down to Egypt. They've got the grain And that's where Joseph is then met with his brothers. Look at chapter 45 now as we're kind of hopping around here because Joseph's life is is covers a few pages here. But look at now chapter 45. And let's look at verses 7 and 8. Or actually, let's start in verse 1 of chapter 45. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? All right, pause there with me. Joseph's brothers come to Joseph because Joseph's the governor of Egypt. They're looking to buy grain. They bow before Joseph. Joseph now remembers his dream where the 11 stars and the the sheaves bowed down before him. His dream comes true, and he now reveals himself to be Joseph. I am Joseph. I'm your brother. Picture this scene. This is insane. His brothers, after 13 years, come to Egypt, bow before him. The dream comes true, and Joseph then reveals himself to be the brother that they sold. It says, I am Joseph, in verse 3, does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Other translations say they were terrified. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. The, so they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. Verse 7, And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house 
and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Last principle we're going to see in Joseph's life here. Recognize that God's purpose and his plan is greater than we understand. Recognize that God's purpose and his plan is greater than we understand. Joseph only got to see one piece of this puzzle along the way. While God could see the whole picture of the puzzle. And Joseph throughout his life being sold into slavery. Then being put in prison for something he didn't even do. Then he's made governor of all of Egypt. Got to see little pieces of the puzzle. That's the same for us in life. We're only going to get to see pieces of our lives. But trust the Lord because he sees the whole picture. He sees everything. And recognize that God's purpose and his plan is greater than we can realize now. You might be in a situation right now where things haven't gone according to plan, but trust that God sees the whole picture. God foresaw that Joseph would be reconciled with his brothers, that they would bow before him because he's governor of all of Egypt, that Joseph would save lives, save millions of lives during this famine. God's purpose was to save life, Joseph said, through this whole famine. The selling of me to the Ishmaelites, to then becoming in prison, to then becoming reinstated as governor over Egypt, these were all pieces that made a larger picture here that God foresaw everything. So recognize in your circumstance right now that you only see a little piece of the puzzle. God sees the whole picture, which is encouraging to us because he has you where he has you for a specific purpose, a greater purpose. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine. God has better plans for your life than you could ever imagine. But it's going to take commitment to him, trusting in him. You guys came and you sat in those chairs. You trusted those chairs. You didn't bother to check the legs out or to look underneath the chairs. You threw your weight back on those chairs because you trusted him. And God wants that same response in our lives, to throw our weight upon the Lord and trust him. And God says, if, if you can trust something that man has made, why can't you trust me? I've created everything. Trust me, in the famine years and the plentiful years, I have a greater purpose. Recognize that God's purpose and his plan is greater than you understand. And so, in closing, the brothers are reconciled to Joseph. I love how the story ends in chapter 50. In chapter 50, it says, in verse 18... Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Beautiful picture here of reconciliation. Joseph's reconciled to his father, Jacob. Jacob comes down to Egypt with his brothers. He is reconciled with his family. God foresaw this whole thing while only the brothers and Joseph saw pieces of the puzzle. Trust God. Don't hold too too tightly to your plans, but hold tightly to God's hand who desires to direct and guide your steps. He's there with you. Don't complain in your circumstance. Trust the Lord. So our five principles, commit whatever you do to the Lord, honor the Lord in your circumstance, whether good or bad, 
Resist the temptation to complain. Remember that God's silence doesn't equate God's absence. And then recognize that God's purpose and his plan is greater than we understand. And I promise you, because God, we serve a God who fulfills promises, not because I know anything, but because God is a God of promises, and I rest on his word, that God promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And no matter where you find yourself right now in life, God is there and he's with you. He sees it all and he's got great purposes and plans for your life. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we're so encouraged by the story of Joseph. I love Joseph and just how he had resolve in his heart to honor you no matter what circumstance he was in. It was so easy for him to complain. It was so easy for him to doubt you. It was so easy for him to question you. But Lord, you were right there with him. You saw his life through thick and thin. You saw his life through years of famine and slavery. You saw his life through years of plenty and authority. And Lord, may we, just like Joseph, resolve in our hearts to trust you because you hold our plans in your hand. And so, Lord, we do pray that as we plan our lives, that you would direct our steps that we wouldn't be frustrated, that we wouldn't be anxious or worried, but that we would trust you because you love us and you're a good father. So we look to you now, Lord, and we just take things day by day. We don't want to look too far ahead, Lord, but we commit this day to you now, and we ask that we would honor you in all that we say and do. We love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.